Uh, big welcome again uh, from me, Bob Skinstad, um, to uh, our, our little series, which is actually getting more and more fun as the days go uh, by, um, winning the away games. It's, it's about being displaced executives on the other side of the world. We've got a fantastic example of exactly that. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Etienne, and thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Bob. Great to it's, see you. It, it's, super, it's super good to see you. Uh, I know it's on the other side of a screen and I'd much rather be in person, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch straight into it because we know the angle of the show. We know why and how we reach out to individuals like yourself. But this is my 30 seconds of as I understand it. So as I understand it, um, you, you spent your career driving your way up the telco ladder. Um, you've worked for some of the, the biggest players in the space, Orange and EE and BT. I mean, these are these are not small names, but all in executive roles um, and managing director of a $10.5 billion PL, um, 8,000 employees at BT, for example, based in the UK uh, for the most part of that, which we'll get into. And then just over a year ago, you joined US based company Frontier Communications as an executive vice president. And now you're living in the Lone Star State of Texas in Dallas and leading the business division to help build out what they call Gigabit America. Now, I know there's a Hell of a lot in there, which we'll get into it. But first of all, it's great to have you uh, with us. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, absolutely, Bob. Great to see you again. And like I said, it would, it would great to have you in person would be even better. <laughs> That's going to happen uh, sooner rather than later. Don't worry. But um, Etienne, I, I just want to you know, set the, the boundaries here. Our, our, our conversation is about people who come from one place and go to another. We've had Kiwis on, we've had South Africans on, we've had Irish on. As you can imagine, they've got quite a big reflective diaspora around the world. You know, you, there's always an Irish bar somewhere. There's always a South African working in, in some corporate. You know, there, there's always a Kiwi that somebody knows is close by who's got a, a black and white jersey on when the rugby comes on. Um, and, and, and we're just trying to actually, because the founder of Alexa, uh, Stephen Newton, is a Cape Town boy who's London-based, um, you know, jump back into consulting as an owner of a business rather than than just carry on in the space. But you know, your your story is definitely in parallel to those. Tell us how a, a South African um, landed up on the other side of the world. You can you can be as brief or as or as long as 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 you want. But how did it start? I mean, you know, you, you don't go to school and say, right, I want to I want to run a, a fiber business out of uh, out of Texas, or certainly not in South Africa. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, absolutely, Bob. You know, I uh, I was brought up in Port Elizabeth, and then I went to you know Stellenbosch University, beautiful part University, of the world, lovely part of the world. And and you know, when I approaching graduation, uh, you know, my dad said to me, you know, what do you want as a as a graduation gift? And I said to him, you know what, I'd love to go and uh, go. And, you know, I'd, I'd never actually left South Africa at that stage of my life, which is crazy to think. And I said, I'd like to go to Europe. You know, working holiday visa. And I'll go spend two years in the UK, you know, here working and in 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 here kind of cruising around. And, and, and can you kind of help, help me, get me started, shall I say? And it's a funny story because I still remember it. And, and he gave me 700 pounds, which isn't a lot of money, <laughs> and, and a one-way ticket and, and, and paid for the visa application. And I literally, that was it. And I got on a plane, you know, fearless young kid and uh, started on a, buddy's, on a buddy's sofa, you know, sleeping on his sofa, literally, uh, and got my first job working as a, an accountant, like doing sort of temp finance work. I then ended up actually, and, and where it kind of got going was I went to go work for a big cable company in the UK uh, and, and literally as a temp doing finance work. And 
and as I got going in my career, you know, uh, the company was going through quite a lot of change, and I got literally three promotions in the in the first year. And these guys said to me uh, after a year, they said, "Just don't you want to stay longer?" Uh, because you're now getting to the point where you where legally, you know, you've got to change your visa status. And I said to them, "Hey, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy. Uh, you know, to get a work permit and all that's quite a lot of work." And they said, "No, no, we'll we'll sponsor you and and let's do it." And they sponsored me. And uh, you know, it's crazy to think then many years later, I, I naturalized, got my British citizenship, uh, and and then went from cable to to wireless with Orange. Uh, I then did a stint back in South Africa in Johannesburg in, in this sort of private equity space. Uh, and then and then moved back to the UK where I joined EE, which was the merger of Orange and T-Mobile, you know, the, the biggest wireless player in the in the UK, and then on to BT. And I kind of think back to myself, you know, over that period, which is about 20 years, going from a kind of finance temp <laughs> job, you know, temporary to, to running uh, one of the biggest, you know, uh, parts of, of the BT group, uh, like you said, 8,000 people, over 10 billion PNL. Uh, it's quite crazy. And, and, and then a, a couple of years later, you know, we said now uh, a couple of years later where I had an opportunity, which I think is super unique, you know, where Frontier Communications, uh, you know, we talk about building Gigabit America and, you know, people ask, what is that? You know, we're not a massive player by U.S. standards, but by many other countries, we consider it very big. Yeah, five billion plus revenue. Wow. But, you know, we, the, we are the second biggest fiber builder in America in terms of laying out new fiber. Uh, and we are the largest single, uh, you know, single fiber player in, in the US. So it was one of these really unique opportunities that I just couldn't turn down. So I've, I've been here for just under 18 months now, uh, living in Texas, which is very different. Uh, probably some, some quite big similarities actually to South Africa rather than the UK, a little bit different. Uh, but, uh, you know, great place and, and, and an awesome trajectory but I think it always starts with that thing of no fear you know what I mean when, when I think back anytime I got these tough decisions where you got to say hey I'm doing something that's really scary and I'm moving country and moving my family and moving everything I think back to that kid who got on that plane that with a one-way ticket and slept on a sofa yeah you know? exactly. well I mean I want I want it so I want to go into 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 depth on those on those little bits but if we look at that journey so so you you, you bunched a whole thing a few things together there and and a lot of that is telcos in the UK a couple of different ones. I mean, long tenure at, at the individuals, as, as, as I see it. But what were the levers that you found, you know, moving from one job to the next job? Like, what are, what are the things you need as a telco? Like, how do you, you know, executives, I mean, not to dumb everything down to the level of rugby, but like a rugby coach needs to coach scrums and lineouts, if you know what I mean. If he, if he can get a good guy who can help him with scrums and a good guy who can help him with lineouts, half the work's done. You know, um, like like for, for telcos and it, it, with a with a finance background or an accountancy background into finance, like what are the things you you look at? Like, how do you know what's a good business, bad business? I know it's ultra competitive. Yes, well, well, I think what helped me is that that you know that foundation of being. You know, I started my career as as an accountant, and the first probably ten years of my life were finance jobs, and then I moved out of that to kind of more business management, running businesses and running business units. And I and I think for me. And it is a little bit like sport. I use sport analogies with the team all the time, you know, where, you know, you talk about structures. And I think when you can lead big teams in very complex business that are capital intensive and you can have, you know, I, I talk about that sort of clarity of thought and clarity of direction where you really understand what are my positions of strength? You know, where do I need to win in the market? How do I kind of unpack the complexities? Uh, which is a bit like analyzing a, a team's offense. You know what I mean? It's like, how do I unpack this? And, and create structures and 
you know, the, the common thing that a lot of businesses do, especially when you go through complex businesses where you have problems or you have a crisis is, is I always use the one where it's a little like watching kids play soccer. You know, everybody rushes towards the ball and there's no structures and there's no, you know, you're like chasing the ball rather than playing in position. And I think in big business, if you can get people playing in position with a very clear strategy and a strategy, as you know, with uh, the work Elixir do, a strategy is not a wonderful PowerPoint deck that you do, you listen to, and then you throw it in the drawer. You know, you've got to take that PowerPoint deck and you've got to turn that to a playbook. And you really got to set some of those sort of shorter term goals and say, I want to go from A to B to C to E. And and and, and I think that approach has always helped me, which is that sort of, I'll call it discipline and understanding the KPIs, then really creating those sort of plays and who's going to be in what position and how we're going to move at, at, at rapid pace uh, uh, with a really, really good hit rate, you know? Wow. I mean, I think I think the summary there is fantastic. So, so, and and is that replicable? I mean, we, we've seen certain individuals do it, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs get to a stage and they go, oh, "Okay, I'm stepping out now. I don't want to be the CEO because I was a great entrepreneur founder, but I'm not a great operations person or whatever it is." And in, you know, in corporate, do, does corporate help you to do that, or is it a character thing where you go, "Hey, I'm in survival mode. I'm going to find out how to do this or how to be the best me." at the next level up and then the next level up, you know, I mean, there's also corporate politics and business politics. There's a whole bunch of things that are aiming against you, you, you know, headwinds all the time, you know, is that a character thing? What's your summary in, in that space? I, I think it's a combination of both where I think you have that, uh, you know, you've got a character of, of, of you don't give up easily, right? So, and I think if you if you have that sort of mentality, which is I've tried A, that hasn't worked, well, it doesn't mean the problem statement has, has changed. Let me try B, C, D, and, and, and it's that sort of, you know, it's an overused term of kind of fast fail, but if you do fast fail correctly, which is you're not asking people to to go and just kind of make mistakes, but what you're doing is you, 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 you try repeat it at a relatively rapid pace and then you sort of industrialize. I think that works pretty well. Um, you know, I, I've had some challenges, you know, I'll, I'll give you one and it's, it, it, look, this is public information. It's, it's in the results, but you know, when I, I, I worked for BT and I initially worked for EE and they purchased BT, uh, sorry, BT purchased EE. And, uh, you know, one of the big challenges we had is we had this amazing business, uh, you know, the BT broadband business, but we had very high churn. Our churn was, uh, you know, around 1.8%, one of the highest in the market. And uh, we set a strategy and we said, uh, gave it a nice little catchy name. We said, we want the 1% churn plan. We want to get that churn down from, from 1.8 down to below one. And we did it in 18 months. And if you said to me, I'm, I'm with the biggest player in the market with the highest market share, that's, that's typically at a price premium. How are you going to go from, from you know, 1.8 to, to, to one in that period of time? Honestly, no one would have believed you. But when you break it down to those little bite-sized chunks, and you know, as we say in South Africa, you know, how do you eat an elephant with many small bites? You, you know, when you do that methodology, set that vision and then build that plan, that is very repeatable. And, you know, I've done that in a consumer environment where I'm now running a, a you know, billion dollar plus B2B business. And we've done that in many things where we've taken a problem statement, really unpacked it, taken that down to the sort of lowest level uh, and then celebrate those little ones, pivot where you need to. And, and 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 go and go and win. So that is very repeatable. But I think the, the imperative is understand what you're looking at, and then have that resilience. That and I think that's what a lot of people uh, like you're talking to have that resilience of being an expat or someone who's changed country, who's gone in with that sort of 
you know, fear of change. You know, how do you kind of just block that out a little bit and, and, and just focus on the on the on the front? It's like the windscreen of a car. Focus on the front, looking forward, rather than that little rearview mirror. You know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's a it's, it's a great lesson in in that, and and I mean, in terms of what's around that, because. Um, it, you, you've got to be honest. You, you've also got to enjoy life. So, so like being being slightly displaced. I mean, if you're from Port Elizabeth, you're used to sun and sea and sand and surf and and you know um, a, a fun outdoorsy sort of lifestyle. Whether whether it's you know beautiful uh, sort of game and mountains etc. close by, or, or or it's the coast in that part of the world. And now and then you're in the UK or you're in in the US. You know, is is there stuff that you miss? Or do you, do you do you take motivation out of like people from back home, or do you take your tent with you and say, "Okay, this is us. We just, uh, you know, we we on our way and, and looking only at the future." How do how, how do you do that as a character? Yeah, I think you know I've, I've got friends and family back in in South Africa, and I, I stay in touch. I think technology's changed a lot, right? If you look at you know, I'm sure I know, I know you moved to the UK. It's pretty similar time when I moved, and you had those little calling cards and all that rubbish. Where you, had, you know, when you got WhatsApp now, so the world's changed. It's easier to stay in touch, I'd say. And I think it's important you always remember your roots. But, but one thing I've tried to do with my, you know, with my wife and kids is, is we have a real, you know, we have fun out here in terms of anytime there's an opportunity to go somewhere and see something, the U.S. is massive. You know, for those who haven't, you know, a lot of people have come to the U.S., but they've, they've been in New York or something like that. You know, we just, for example, over Thanksgiving, we had a little gap and uh, we said, let's drive to Memphis. So Memphis is seven hours from here. So we got in Memphis, the car. Tennessee. Yep, we got in the car with the, the, the you know my wife, the, the the two kids, the dog. We got in the car. We drove to Memphis. Uh, we had an Airbnb. We went to Graceland, checked out Elvis Presley's house, you know. And then we on the way back, we drove to a place in Arkansas called Hot Springs. That's got a natural hot springs coming out the ground. And then we ended up in a place called Broken Bone, Oklahoma, which is basically in the woods, a cabin in the woods where you're walking out, you're seeing nature at its best, and you know, so we've, uh, it sounds crazy, but in the time we've been here as a family, because we have a, we bought a map uh, with pins. And uh, as we've been as a family, we've been in, in one year, we've been to uh, nine states already in one year. So, so for my kids, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I first left South Africa when I was 21, never left South Africa. And my son, who's seven, uh, you know, he's been, I don't know how many countries he's been to and, and, He's literally been all over the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and what about what's different for them school wise? I mean, sports uh, turned on its head because you know in South Africa you would have played rugby and cricket, and the UK certainly football. And now he's got a whole bunch of other sports and things, even different types of entertainment. Does it does that affect the family or do the kids embrace it? Like, what's it like? Yeah, Can't be easy. It's not easy. I'd say it's not easy, and that's probably the hardest part is is this adaption, and uh, and and it's also hard for kids because they obviously got friends and, and and friendship groups, but they're both pretty young. You know, they're ten and seven, so for them, it's, it's it's trying to help them adapt and get them. Sports a great thing. It is one of those great bonders where both of them have now got in. My daughter started playing basketball. She's loving it. Uh, she's got a game tomorrow. Uh, you know, uh, it's her second game that she's actually playing. Uh, my son, he, he he started playing soccer over here, Bob. You know. Football is the one you play with your hands and soccer is the one you play with your feet, you know, if, uh, in America. So, uh, you know, he's, he's exactly, exactly. exactly. It just makes so much sense. And, and so he, he loves, he's playing uh, basketball, soccer. He's done a bit of baseball. And we literally signed him up to a summer camp where they did rotations and played pretty much all the sports out here and, and tried them all. So, 
And then they've kind of gravitated towards, he like, he really likes soccer. He likes a bit of baseball and basketball as well. And then my daughter, she's she's been doing uh, volleyball and uh, basketball. So it's great to do. And, it, you know, Texas is, it's an interesting climate, but it, it is a nice warm climate. You know, it can get too hot, to be fair, but uh, that's a different story. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've I've heard it can get too hot. I mean, I, I've I've been in and out. It was quite mild in between seasons. Um, in Africa, there's not really a case of such a thing as too hot. If someone's armed with a, br- a braai or a or a or a what do they call it over there? Is it different? Is it a barbecue? It's a grill. Like, so you know, you outdoor social scene work there for a, for a South African who I know loves to braai. Exactly. So, you know, you think about it, you've got a bar in South Africa, you've got a barbecue in England, and now you've got a grill. So your, your barbecue on your grill is the way they talk about it. But do you so, have to have three or, or what happens? Do you get to... Well, you, I, just... I actually have got three because I, I thought, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be armed for any situation, Bob. So, you know, I've got my, what's called a Traeger, which is a, a, a pellet smoking grill. Oh, wow. Got, okay. That's quite, it's yeah. quite uh, advanced, the smoker as well. Yeah, yeah, and you can, you know, the crazy thing is, I can control it on my phone, so I can literally set the temperature and all of that on my phone and get this thing going. I've then got a green egg, and I've got a, uh, you know, a, a gas, um, a, a gas grill as well. So I can literally, depending on the situation, depending on what what we need to do, we can buy in in pretty much any condition. So if you if you use the old school landline and you phone uh, to get hold of Etienne, he's he's up back, he's he's either grilling, barbecuing, or or brining. Okay, I love it. Um, exactly. Um, and and Etienne, tell me about the business now. So so um, you know, uh, Frontier, as I understand, is lay, laying fiber, connecting homes, connecting businesses, um, and 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 is it from Central America out? Uh, like like how, how do you how, how are you sort of mapping the US? Not a small place. I mean, I was I was doing some research for this. The the the, the economy of Texas is about six percent smaller than the economy of the United Kingdom. I was like, that is mind blowing for me. I mean, that is just unbelievable, you know. And and look, apparently, California's bigger, you know, and 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 Texas is not far behind in terms of just states and 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 economy. So a business like that must be busy as hell, laying fiber, looking towards the future. Absolutely. And the way to think about the US is it's a little bit, it's a little bit like Europe in the way that each state is its kind of own little country, you know, or in this case, big country. So if you think of California. I forget the stat, but I think California's GDP would would, would definitely rank. It ranks in the top 10 in the world relative to countries. So that gives you a scale of California. Uh, I think it's actually probably number five or six or something like that. And uh, the way so the way we work is, is we've got a bunch of states that we operate in. Uh, and our big states, uh, we, we, you know, is obviously California is a massive one. Uh, you know, Texas is massive. Florida is massive. And then New York State, those are the kind of our biggest states that, that we operate in. And then we've got a bunch of other states which we're operating, which are a little bit smaller. But you kind of concentrate in those states. And then, uh, you know, the challenge for, for B2B comes where you, um, if you think about it, obviously from a smaller business perspective, that's relatively easy because you've got a, a company that's got their, their operations in the state you operate in. But obviously, as you go up the chain and you want to deal with bigger businesses, they'll have an office in California and New York. They might have something in Connecticut. You know, that's great. We can connect those. But then once you're going a bit off net, we've got to be a bit more creative and, and actually buy off others. So that's where you get some of the complexities of, of, of what we're up to. But the business, you know, it's a great business where we, you know, like I mentioned, we are, you know, laying only AT&T in the U.S. is laying more fiber than we are. And they're an absolute monster. 
you know, as a company, uh, <laughs> they're about as big as, it, big as it comes. And, uh, you know, we're the second biggest, uh, you know, layer of new fiber. And it's exciting times because, you know, that's what we call about building Gigabit America is about digitizing these businesses and consumers and, and, and really taking them to the, uh, you know, to, to modern technology. Um, tangential question, not necessarily just about, about you and or business. Um, off the top of your head as a guy who's been in telcos and, and, and understands the fiber space, what about Africa and fiber? Does it does it ever work, or or, or is, is is Africa always is is it cell phone and 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 pay as you go only? I mean infrastructure. I mean literally. Sorry, came, came into my head now. I'm thinking yeah, about no, what, no. What, I, what I think like? Africa is an interesting use case of of technology jumps. And what I mean by technology jump is, you know, if you look at fixed line, for example, you know, if you look at the Western world, it's like fixed lines came in, and then that was the big thing, and then. And then data became data came in. It was data over the fixed line, and then it was dedicated fiber and all that. So you, what I'd say in Africa is you've got a bunch of countries who almost almost like skip that first phase. So if you look at the sort of wireless, you know, the, the cell phone penetration versus fixed line, the ratios are are, are crazy because they ship some of the best yeah, in the like, world. Like, like three three G over your SIM cards yeah, happen exactly. over Exactly. And then I think what happens is is fiber's absolute, you know fiber's a need to build those 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 wireless networks. So I think fiber is is key because that's the infrastructure that those networks sit on, number one. But then I think secondly, as as you need higher and higher speeds, it's almost like in our world, we're replacing copper with fiber. I think in Africa, which is great, is you're going straight to fiber in many cases. So you don't kind of have that legacy to take care of. So it is a case, but it's a slightly different case, a bit like, you know, fixed to to, to wireless. And there's a bunch of players, you know, in, in South Africa, as you know, rolling out tons of fiber, but it's that sort of backbone that everything sits on, and it's technology that, at the end of the day, it's light. You know what I mean? It's speed of light. So it's yeah, you, you can't really get you can't really get quicker than the speed of light. No, so exactly, and that lost for hundreds of years. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think that that acceleration is something definitely to affect businesses, etc. Going forward. Okay, um, Etienne, at the at the end of an interview, and we try and keep it to about twenty minutes because we we only deal with with busy, smart, successful uh, entrepreneurs on on uh, and executives all over the world. So so thank you so much for your time. Quick um quick uh. Uh, quick fire questions. There's only about, about three or four. Did you get to watch any of the rugby of the World Cup? Um, you know, did the people around you care about it? Was it on a screen close by? Do you? How, how did that affect uh, your sadly, state of mind in Texas? Yeah, sadly, no one really cared. But I watched every Bok game and a few others. Oh, and, good uh, man. I was behind the box 100 of the time, and I wore my Springbok jersey to work on Fridays. Brilliant. Wasn't, wasn't that amazing? I mean, uh, what an incredible um, achievement by, by the guys. Okay. And then um, Texas is bigger, better, faster, more on almost everything. You know, are, are you getting into that state? Are the, are the stakes about, about this big now, as, as big as a, a, your dinner plate? Uh, what else are you seeing? Is it like Monster Jam every weekend? Or, or how has the lifestyle um, changed a little bit with like all these massive things? So, I mean, are you put, have you got cowboy boots and stets and hats? What's happening? I, I, you know, funnily enough, Bob, I do have a Stetson hat and I am wearing uh, some ostrich cowboy boots as we speak. So uh, oh, I love it. I'm ready. And, that's a, that's and, you an know, African mix there. That's an African mix. Ostrich skin cowboy boots. Beautiful. Exactly. And I'd say to you, Bob, you know, you know what's nice, Bob? You know the old saying, uh, this isn't my first rodeo. The nice thing is I can say that with confidence because I have been to a rodeo. <laughs> Jeez, what's that like viewing? That's that's me amazing. I've never been to a rodeo. Oh, man, it's super entertaining. You know, I've I've been to rodeo. We've been to uh, monster trucks, which is great. 
We watch the Dallas Mavericks, the basketball. I'm, I literally am actually going to two games next week. I'm going to the Mavs versus the Lakers on Tuesday and the Timberwolves on Thursday. So, you know, there's a lot of these events that I tell you, Americans, one thing they do like no other country is when they put these sporting events on, the entertainment around it is just something else. It is something else. It's something that if you haven't ever done it, if you come out this way, you've got to go watch, be it NFL, hockey, Careful, careful. Those America. invitations, uh, they, they loose lips and ships. So I'll be out there in a, in a heartbeat. Um, Etienne, I want to say a big thank you, man. Great to catch up. Uh, fantastic to hear. It's going so well that side. Congratulations with the journey so far. Um, thank you for staying in, in, in touch with us. Um, obviously, anyone wants to get hold of, of, of uh, Etienne and, and the journey that he's on, the hashtags, etc., around our show are p- pertain to the stuff that he's willing to be um, uh, communicated with. Um, so please understand um, this journey, um, respect everybody on it. But for, for you, Etienne, we, we're delighted to have had you on and thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Bob. Great to be on and an exciting uh, journey ahead.